Hi, it's Jim Meskinen, and this is my podcast for this week. We are in the smack dab in the middle of September. I turned 55 last week, which was uh, uh, really pretty uneventful. Uh, I worked and uh, drove around and did some stuff. I did treat myself to some treats. I went and bought some art supplies. I'm planning on having a, a painting exhibition, believe it or not. Um, I don't know, as soon as I can get... 20 paintings done, and you may be curious, first of all, you might not have known I was a painter. I've been fairly secretive about it, but I do love to paint. I'm a trained painter, which means that, you know, I dedicated quite a lot of time to it at one point when I was younger, and unlike a lot of things in my life, I still remember all that, and I'm still interested, although I uh, I've put it on the shelf for a long time because I don't earn my living that way, so it seemed kind of um, counterproductive to spend a lot of time doing something that I don't sell enough, you know. I do sell, but not enough to support life. So, But I do enjoy it as an activity, as an expression. It's like I don't get paid for a podcast either, but I like to do it because I like to reach out. And uh, I like to think that someone out there, I, I flatter myself that anybody listens to these podcasts, for example. I flatter myself to think that anybody would like to look at my paintings. But I've had some nice people buy, buy things of mine and, and enjoy them and put them up. So I will be having an art show. Um, why did I mention that? Oh, yes, my birthday, so 55. As I spoke about, it means absolutely nothing, and it always reminds me of Gerald Ford. So this week, uh, that was this week, and then, um, I don't know, funny things happened uh, that are worth talking about. I was inspired a couple of times uh, this week, several times. And, uh, you know, one thing that we can do, one thing that human beings do that's actually really good about the species is that we can inspire one another and make life a little more pleasant on this floating rock called Earth in the middle of this cold, desolate universe. Cheery thought. But we can inspire one another, and uh, I get inspired a lot. And I was inspired this week chiefly by someone who you wouldn't consider to be a source of inspiration at all, and that was the actor Larry Storch. Now, those of you who you know are about my age or maybe a little younger will recognize that name. He was an actor. He is an actor uh, and a character actor, chiefly known for his work on a, a, a very short-run series called F Troop back in the 1960s, which I was flabbergasted to learn only lasted two years. Okay, so it's a little-known series in in a time when uh, other more popular shows dominated. And for me, Larry Storch was always a kind of a go-to name if I wanted to make a joke about an obscure character actor, you know, and just throw something off like, yeah, I'm going to see a, a guy who's doing a one-man show, The Life of Larry Storch or something like that. I would throw that kind of thing like I would Richard Basehart or something like that. And my, my friends of about my age would snort and laugh because they hadn't thought of Larry Storch in a long time. And the image was kind of trivial and funny and warm and silly and, you know, rejectable. So I used to quite often, you know, mention Larry Storch only in, in derision. And uh, and then I met Larry Storch in New York one time at an event, a really silly event that I was at, that I was embarrassed to be at. I was, you know, you do anything in New York for money. And one of these jobs I had was escorting someone dressed up in a huge Betty Boop costume to some event. What was it? I don't know. A soft drink, a, a a cigarette filter, uh, you know, a way to spay your dog in an elevator. I have no idea what it was. But there I was, hating my life, escorting. I mean, I wasn't even the star. I wasn't even the fake celebrity. I was escorting the fake celebrity. And there was Larry Storch. And I thought, well, I've got to go say hi to Larry Storch. And so 
you know, because at that point he way outranked me in every way. And and, uh, and also I thought, well, you know, I, I love to meet old actors and hear what they have to say. So on a lark, I went up and introduced myself to Larry Storch. And in the course of the very brief conversation, I mentioned that my mother was Marion Ross of Happy Days. And he said this. Oh, your mom, she was the glue. It's the first time I ever heard that expression, the glue, the binding thing, the thing that brought elements together in a, in a show, which mom was, you know, for Happy Days. She was the glue, or certainly a big part of the recipe of the glue. So I had a renewed sort of respect and affinity for Larry Storch. I was like, oh, wow. You know, he respects something in my universe that I can identify with. And I no longer joked about Larry Storch after that point. Well, then just a few years later, my mom starred uh, with Gene Stapleton in a touring production of Arsenic and Old Lace that featured, among others, Jonathan Frid as the as the evil uh, Uncle Mortimer and uh, Larry Storch as Dr. Einstein, the character role made popular by Peter Lorre and others. And so she toured with Larry Storch and became very close with Larry Storch. And then, you know, I got to know Larry Storch a little bit more and his wife, Norma. So leading, why I'm giving you this background and why I'm talking about Larry Storch is that Larry Storch was born, I believe, in like, uh, well, he was born 91 years ago. You do the math. I think that means he was born in 1917. Is that possible? No, you idiot. It's 1923. Use a calculator. Oh, what's the youth of America? He came to Hollywood this last week to do a stand-up set at the Comedy Store as a big send-off. His last stand, it was called. And some promoter that he knows, a friend of his from Jersey, I think, uh, I forget the guy's name, brought him out, full house at the Comedy Store, and Mom called me up and said, do you want to go see Larry Storch? I said, absolutely. And so it was really interesting. Uh, I was so glad I went. And I'd never been to the Comedy Store before, and it, 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 it is a very, if you've never been there, it's a good-sized room that they can apparently make different sizes by, you know, curtaining off parts of it. And a uh, nice little stage, and uh, it's a sweet little intimate venue for, for comics. And obviously everybody in the world has been there, you know, over the years. And there are photographs of Robin Williams and uh, Jay Leno and, uh, and all these people, George Carlin and people festooning the walls. And the, the house was, you think, who was in the audience watching Larry Storch? Well, it was kind of like going into a an animate wax museum, you know, in a good way. There were people that I, celebrities that I had completely forgotten about. And, you know, not, not even that they were alive, but forgotten that they even existed. Like Ken Berry was there. Ken Berry, who used to be on F Troop and was on Mayberry RFD and was a handsome, young kind of sitcom actor back when I was, you know, just learning how to tie my shoes. He was there. Uh, Peter Marshall was there. He's 88. And... But in great shape, you know, talked very well. And a lot of people got up, my mother included, and gave, you know, tributes and did and took the opportunity to do some stand-up. Uh, Ted Lange from uh, Love Boat. Maybe Larry Storch guest starred on Love Boat. Anyway, they all kind of, all those old TV people, they all know each other because they've been to a million events together. And back in the days in the 60s and the 70s and even into the 80s, you know, there were three channels. So everybody kind of knew each other. And Bernie Capel, who, you know, I remember mostly from Get Smart, that brilliant, iconic, silly comedy of the 60s with, with Don Adams that was, you know, written with, by Mel Brooks and Woody Allen and people were staff writers and Buck Henry. Anyway, 
these kind of people were in the audience. And when it came time for um, Larry Storch to come on stage, he was out sitting in a booth the whole time watching everybody and receiving the um, you know, early eulogies, I guess, in a way. Very sweet. And when he was called up uh, on stage by his friend Ken Berry, you know, he slowly made his way to the stage, you know, stepping, you know, about six inches at a time, you know. He's as skinny as a rail. He's just a small man. He's 91. And, uh, you know, he eventually makes it to the stage. And, but he carries himself, it's interesting, with a frailty and yet a grace, like an old Fred Astaire. And he did a stand-up set. And every joke killed. But it was all old jokes that you've heard before, but acted with complete commitment and totally charming. And each one took about five or six minutes to tell. So he told maybe eight jokes, maybe seven. But it took 20 minutes, you know, and, and the audience just loved it. And they laughed and laughed. And uh, and then, you know, he, he took a bow. We gave him a standing ovation. and He waved goodbye and left the stage. And it was very inspiring. You know, talk about creating your life. Okay, I'm going to do one of his jokes, okay? So I wanted to commit several of them to memory because they were so unique. So I'm going to do Larry Storch telling one of his jokes on the night. And, 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 this is, and the flub that I make in the beginning is exactly what he made. This is not my own brain fart. This is, this is an homage, an homage fart or a fartmage. Custer! Back in 1861, Custer, what was was Custer's full name? George Armstrong. Yes, yes, George Armstrong Custer, standing in the little bighorn by the banks of the river. His men are assembled on one side of the river. On the other side, the entire Indian nation is Sitting Bull, Geronimo, and... Crazy horse. And here he makes his eyes wild like a crazy person. Crazy horse. <laughs> standing on the other side of the, of the river, looking at his men. General George Armstrong Custer. And he's... The drums begin to pound by the Indians. Pum, 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 pum. Custer says, those drums. Oh, I hate those drums. And a voice from the other side of the Indian camp says, He's not our regular drummer. <laughs> just people fell apart at that joke. And with good reason. It's just a fun. I don't tell it well, but I'm, I'm giving you my impression of Larry Storch. And he told, I don't know, like I said, just a handful of jokes. And people just came apart laughing. They were so silly and so beautifully performed. So here's a guy. He's taken the bull by the horns. What do we love about that? I don't know. For me, I love the fact that here's a guy on his... And he knows. He's like, you're 91. You know that you don't have a lot of shelf life left. You don't have a lot of memory space left. You know, the little line is going across your, your hard drive. And you know any second now it's going to dink out. You know, you're not going to be able to reboot, uh, you know, to stretch as many computer metaphors. But, but he's a spirit. He's a, he's a man. He's an individual. He's got dreams. And there he is manifesting it. He's doing the most difficult thing. I mean... You take any American, you take the 300 million Americans, uh, and you say, uh, would you like to do some stand-up comedy? And 99.99% of them go, no way. You know, it's like, it's about probably the same ratio if you take that same body of people and say, how would you like to climb K2 or Mount Kilimanjaro? No way. 
Not interested. Larry Storch with that impossibly Dickensian, silly, wonderfully, you know, abrasive name goes up there and kills at 91. That's inspirational for me. And, and it was like, ah, oh, of course, this is, this is also what I want to do. I don't want to do stand-up, but I want to have an impact on an audience for as long as I can because the sound of laughter is a wonderful bit of evidence that you're doing something that is not reprehensible, something that is contributive and that is, at least for, you know, this crowd of people there, it's making them feel better and lifting their spirits a little bit and getting them to disagree with the seriousness of life, which is the job of the entertainer. So that was very, very freaking inspiring. Maybe this will be inspiring to you. Well, it's a beautiful day here in uh, Pompano Swan, Florida, and I'm pleased to be out here in the beautiful, beautiful sunshine uh, with one of the great golf course designers of all time, Zip McCovey. Zip, thanks so much for having me down to your compound. This is an incredible place. Well, thanks. Uh, it's, I'm really glad you could stop by. Well, I, I, you know, a lot of people don't realize that, uh, Zip, you've designed so many of the major courses uh-huh. in uh, very remote places, not just Florida, but also uh, uh, Scandinavia. Uh, South America, you know, right. just the list goes right. on and on. And, Costa Rica. Uh, Costa Rica. And this is your proving ground. This is where you work it out. This is where mm-hmm. uh, here at your compound. These are my blueprints. This is where I get it all. You physically, uh, you get your staff and your crew out on the grounds. And right. you're, uh, you're experimenting. It's your proving grounds to make what are called the most challenging golf courses in the world. Right, right. And uh, we're looking here at something that I, you know, I would look at this and I would not even consider it to be anything to do with golf at all. What, right. what are we looking at here? Well, we're looking at here was the inspiration was Dr. Zhivago Mm. and I thought uh, when I see it my wife and I had seen the film a couple of years ago and I'd always had it in my mind to fashion something uh, with snow and ice Mm -hmm. uh, and combine those elements Mm -hmm. naturally the you know the turf the the fairways will be green Mm -hmm. uh, grass Mm -hmm. we're not asking you to play golf (laughs) on a snowy surface naturally because most balls technically most balls are white Mm -hmm. Uh, hard to find and also very slippery yeah we also wanted a challenge to get to your ball, you have to learn how to uh, repel, uh-huh. sometimes rock climb. I'm looking at some guys that are, seem to be clambering over the surface and, and indeed repelling, as you said. They're in red suits, which <laughs> is the characteristic trademark cranberry red of your company. And they, are these some of your, uh, your technicians or your uh, testing guys? Yeah, these are my R&D guys, mm-hmm. and they're out there seeing if it's feasible to carry uh, a standard bag mm-hmm. on your shoulder, the ca- you know, because car- caddies have to carry it on the shoulder. Can they actually repel down a 30-foot wall uh, to get to the ball? Wow, they, they don't look like they're having a good time at all. That, that looks very challenging. I can see even there out there, look, they, I, even at this great distance, I can see them kind of scratching their heads and, and shrugging mm-hmm. their shoulders and mm-hmm. wondering what to do next. Now, that's obviously not real ice because we're here in Florida. Of no, no, uh, it's what, an imitation. It's very mm-hmm. I, I, I'd, you know, Three years ago, I'd seen Ice Station Zebra, and uh, that movie really uh, did, had a big, big yeah, impact amazing on Amazing film, yeah. So it's not, yeah, it's intimate. I see. So it's like movie ice. Movie ice. Movie ice. Tell me, what sort of, uh, what makes for a really challenging golf course? Uh, Distance, Mm -hmm. uh, air temperature, and uh, a straight line to the hole. 
And uh, so if you combine, you know, they're the big three. If you can change the air temperature, that's great. Mm -hmm. You know, environmental nature, mother nature. Mm -hmm. If you can make it almost impossible to get to the ball, to the hole, that's Mm -hmm. uh, also. Mm -hmm. And if you can change the the way the ball's going through the air, Mm -hmm. whether it be rain, Mm because, you know, we we do experiment with synthetic environmental uh, weather conditions. Mm -hmm. For Tokyo, you built an Amazon rainforest golf course that has got torrential downpours Mm -hmm. several times and, and wind machines that have been blowing people almost out of the facility. Right, uh, because uh, every year, you know, the game gets tougher and tougher, mm-hmm. and, and uh, you'll find that most majors are not uh, called on account of any type of weather until it gets very severe, and right. we're going to push that envelope as I far see. as we can. I see. Now, you talked about distance, and I want to just uh, bring up uh, Kamchatka in Russia, mm. uh, in the very eastern part of Russia. You've set up a golf course that is one of the world's longest. So by sheer distance, it actually takes, just to traverse the whole golf course by Land Rover, uh, takes five days. Takes five days by Land Rover, mm-hmm. seven days by dog sled, mm-hmm. and technically you have to use dogs. You have to okay. use a lot because, like you said, yeah. you have to use a live person. A live person's a caddy. Right. You know, you'll notice there are never any mecha- mechanized ways of getting a golfer from point A to point B. Well, there are golf golf carts, of course. But you can't use them in the majors. I got it. Okay. You've been approached by uh, NASA recently about a, the first lunar golf course, and how's that going? Well, that, that would seem to be just challenging from the, from the onset, just, just by the, the, the mere premise. But are you also designing a course that has its own separate challenges? Yes, I certainly am. You know, it's a one-sixth gravity environment, mm-hmm. and so uh, our R&D guys here have approximating one-sixth gravity environment mm-hmm. by using a ball that's really, really light mm-hmm. and uh, cleats that are very, very light as well. And mm-hmm. We have Alan Shepard to thank for that. You mm-hmm. know, good old Alan. He was... You know, you took that nine iron up there, mm-hmm. and, and uh, got things got to, got the ball rolling, so to speak. Well, uh, and so you're planning for the future when uh, uh, lunar hotels and lunar resorts mm-hmm. will be a reality. Mm-hmm. And uh, what what are some of the features that own that lunar course that you're going to to be offering to the to the avid golfer? Oh, well, naturally. Uh, one of the big three, as I mentioned, distance. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to put that Russian distance to shame. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're going to have an amazingly long uh, 18 holes. Let me ask you this, uh, uh, Zip. Have you ever gone too far? Have you ever created a, a game, uh, a course, rather, where uh, where it's gone too far and people just couldn't play the game? Or... Yeah, I had a big mistake. I was mm-hmm. doing something for the Augusta National B course. Not their A course, mm-hmm. but their B course. Mm-hmm. It was a standard course. It was grass, Kentucky bluegrass mm-hmm. with a rough. And, and, and sand traps. Mm-hmm. However, very traditional. Very traditional. But what I did is I went outside the box and I had the green right next to the tee. Mm-hmm. So you teed off, you went 500 yards straight ahead, and mm-hmm. then you went 500 yards straight back. Wow. Oh, the boomerang. And it was yeah. called the boomerang. Mm-hmm. And, and naturally, the uh, viewing audience surrounding the green was pelted by balls mm-hmm. that went too hard. Mm hmm. Wow. And so it was challenging not just to the player, mm-hmm. but to the, the visitor. You had quite a few injuries uh, along the line. I did. Mm-hmm. I did. Uh, boomerang was a bad idea. Uh, but again, uh, what's really a bad idea? Well, listen, uh, Zip, it's great talking to you today out here on your, in your proving grounds. Anything you want to say to the golfing public? Uh, any kind of wish you want to I, put out to them? I wish that every divot gets replaced. Mm-hmm. That, that's it. A look of elegance and proper decorum. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much. Okay, that happened. That's Tate Rupert. Tate Rupert's a genius. I've known him for, I don't know, 30 years or so. And uh, gosh, ever since I first saw Tate Rupert perform on stage with Interplay at the New School, I've been blown away by his inventiveness. So I continue to plummet anytime I can. 
That's plummet with a B, not with two M's. I may continue to plummet, but I, the thing I plumb is the depth of Tate's genius. Another thing that inspired me, I just heard on the radio, uh, DMC of Run DMC. And I hear in my, my mind, I'm, I'm trying to remember the name of the guy, DMC. His real name is, I wanted to say Dylan McDermott, which is not right. It's something like, you know, Darren McClintock or I don't know. Anyway, DMC, let's just call him that. Uh, just told a really inspiring story on the moth. And if you uh, want to get off of this podcast and go listen to the moth and find DMC's thing, he talks about his life being saved when he was very successful still, but very depressed, suicidal, in fact. And Sarah McLaughlin, or Sarah McLaughlin, uh, or Dylan McDermott, saved his life with her music, and uh, quite literally. And it is a great, great story about a guy who, who fills the void in his life. And it's a very interesting void, and one that I think a lot of us can identify with. So that was inspiring. And it made me realize that Anybody's story, pretty much, has that ability. But, I don't know, people that kind of chase down their demons and say, no, I'm going to live, and here's why, and figuring out a reason to live and to continue and to persevere and to help others. Um, I mean, that's pretty awesome. And uh, there's a lot of us out there trying to do that. Uh, but we need more, obviously. So if you're, if you're wondering what to do with your life and you're depressed... And there are a lot of depressed people out there. No wonder. I mean, there's every amount of depressing things. You know, listen to the news for two minutes. The news is just there to stack problems on you that you can't solve until you get saturated. And then you can't take it anymore and you'll go and, and you'll, you'll buy a pain reliever or you'll buy a beer or something. And then they've, then they've done their job. You know, I think, you know, I don't know if it's a conspiracy, but I think that mankind... You know the the negative uh, the negative aspects of mankind are kind of de facto in cahoots with one another. De facto in cahoots, by the way, is going to be playing at the Stone Pony this weekend, and they're terrific. If you've never heard their drummer, he's extraordinary. His name is Inchworth. Um, I'm in love with that name, Inchworth. Got thrown around today at Starbucks, and my daughter and I were buying some coffee, and my daughter wanted some soy milk, and the guy, the barista, said, uh, "How much soy milk do you want? About an Inchworth." And I said, Inchworth, that's, that's the name of our butler, remember? And I fell in love with that name, Inchworth. Sir, my name is Inchworth. May I help you with something? Yeah, I can't find the remote, Inchworth. Do you know where it is? I believe it's underneath the hassock, sir. Let me fetch it for you. Thank you, Inchworth. My pleasure, sir. Inchworth, how long have you worked for me? Oh, I believe since 1995, sir. 1995, yeah, that sounds about right. Have I ever paid you, Inchworth? Not in money, sir, but in memories. Well, you're a very charitable chap, Inchworth. Thank you, sir. And uh, there's every reason to be depressed, but there's also uh, just as many reasons to uh, keep going, to be optimistic, and to figure out where the next... I'm always interested in where the next laugh is coming from, and I'm so happy when it arrives. It's such a relief. Laughter is a big relief. Anyway, I hope you have a week full of laughter and inspiration, and... Uh, Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. It means a lot to me, and I hope that it's uh, of some use to you somehow to pass the tedious hour or the tedious 22 minutes or whatever we're coming in at. The Impression Guys is going to be dropping our new episodes, as I said, October 14th. I can't wait for you to see them. That's on Soul Pancake on YouTube. The Impression Guys starring the very talented Ross Marquand, the very talented uh, Piat Michael, the very talented Dana DeLorenzo, and the sometimes talented Jim Eskimen. Ben Shelton, great writer-director. It's a really great show. If you haven't seen it, it's 
22 minutes of fun, even more fun than this podcast, because, of course, it's in sense around. You know what? There I go, blathering again, going down another path. I'll do it again some other time. Anyway, thanks a lot to Jeff Levin for the music. Thanks to Tate Rupert, as I mentioned, for the inspiration. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye-bye.